Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. My guest today is Professor Richard Schwartz. He's been on the show before, and his book, Judaism and Global Survival, will be coming out very soon. It's the 20th anniversary edition, and he's going to be talking today about whether or not people should be vegan or at least vegetarian. Please welcome him back to the show. It's nice to see you again. What have you been up to? Okay, great to see you again, and uh, I want to commend you for so much good you've been doing for so many years, and wish you much continued success, and thanks for mentioning my new book, and uh, it's going to be part of a tremendous campaign to promote veganism, and I hope through this uh, sort of 20-minute slideshow and uh, interesting discussion I'm sure we'll have after it, um, uh, I'll try to bring out uh, more about all these things. Well, fantastic. uh, Can't wait to see it. Okay, should I start the slideshow now? Please. Thank you. Okay. So here it is. uh, As Chef AJ pointed out, this is one of the key, key questions today. Should people be vegans or at least vegetarians? Oh no, I'm pressing my thing and it's not going forward. Let maybe me, maybe uh, use your mouse, maybe use your mouse or the, oh, the button on the lower right of your keyboard usually. Adv- oh, there, okay, you know. maybe that'll do it. Okay, so start with a bit about me. I'm Professor Emeritus of Mathematics at the College of Staten Island and President Emeritus of a group that's doing tremendous amount to promote veganism, Jewish veg, formerly that was known as Jewish Vegetarians in North America. And uh, just to give a little background, uh, in my book, Judaism and Vegetarianism, it's really a third edition. And the first one was in 1982. So you can see I've been working on this for 40 years. And this presentation will give me the results of those 40 years of activism. More recent book, you can see, and uh, the sort of trend from vegetarianism to veganism, the vegan revolution, and two key points, saving our world. And that's what I'm going to try to focus on, revitalizing Judaism. And this is true of other religions as well. And uh, just to give you an idea for the background, I had this cover story in a Jewish Post a year or two ago. You can see, uh, should Jews be vegans, the same as we'll be discussing here. And a cover story, and nobody could really answer the um, points I was trying to bring out. And um, just to give a little background, by the way, this is a talk with uh, some president emeritus of Jewish veg, sort of uh, orientated toward Judaism, but it's a universal message. This is seen from Garden of Eden, according to the Bible that Christians and Jews are involved with. Garden of Eden, first Jews, uh, God's first dietary regimen, strictly begin. And uh, here it is, according to Judaism, in the ideal time to come, the Messianic period, that will also be a vegan period. That's based on the prophecy of Isaiah, that in that ideal time, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the lion will stalk the ox, no one shall hurt nor destroy in all of God's holy mountain. So here it is, I've just referred to the Bible, but today, very important reasons, all based on Jewish values, values of every single religion, preserving our health, treating animals with compassion, protecting the environment, serving natural resources, reducing hunger, pursuing peace. And I'm very briefly going to be giving some of the Jewish teachings on this, again, similar to other religions, and showing how far the reality is. 
uh, for, for animal-based diets and agriculture off from these teachings. So in terms of health, which is arguably the most important myth for a commandment in Judaism, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says, that's the Hebrew for diligently guard your health. Many myths vote, but this one, it, the word old diligently, very much, but nefesh, important Jewish mandate, everything possible should be done to save a human life. Is actually 613 mitzvot in Judaism. 610 can be overridden if, if, if possibly to save a life. Okay, this, uh, I'm going to try to explain it to make sure you understand it because this is really fundamental. San Francisco, any other U.S. city, high meat consumption, what goes along with that? High <clears throat> heart disease rate, high bowel cancer rate. On the other hand, uh, a poorer country, much, much less meat consumption, and you can see the difference. High heart disease, much lower. High bowel cancer, much lower. So the consumption of meat is associated with heart disease, colon cancer, stroke, many diseases, uh, life-threatening diseases. And there's a reason for this, that humans, I mentioned before, the Garden of Eden, uh, God's first regiment, but science is showing that human beings are much closer to herbivorous animals than herbivorous or carnivorous animals. And look at these teeth compared to the very sharp, hard, dagger-like teeth of a tiger or even of a herbivorous animal like a bear. And I certainly see the difference between our hands picking an orange or an apple from a tree or a potato or a carrot from the ground compared to the uh, claws of an animal, of a carnivorous animal, to tear apart a uh, prey for that animal. And another very important thing, our intestinal system far, far longer, actually four times longer per unit height for a herbivorous uh, animal, here like a deer, compared to carnivorous animal. So very great differences. By the way, this is wonderful for fruits and vegetables, plenty of time for the vitamins, minerals to be absorbed, but very bad for meat that can, uh, uh, you know, rot in the system, basically. Okay, and uh, just before we move on beyond health, we all know we suffered greatly from the pandemic, the coronavirus uh, pandemic recently, and that is much more likely on the animal-based diets. Here's a wet market in China, not 100% sure, but it's, it's like a good chance that that was the cause of the recent uh, pandemic. Okay, and just to give an example, many, many uh, former pandemics, epidemics caused uh, bird flu, swine flu, MERS, SARS, Ebola, AIDS, and most likely the recent coronavirus. Okay, and now again, uh, that alone should be enough to convince somebody to be a vegan or at least a vegetarian. And health is such an important thing. But compassion for animals, very important too. Jews ought to be Rachmanim, B'nai Rachmanim, compassionate children of compassionate ancestors. Once again, every religion stresses compassion. And according to the book of Psalms, God's compassion is over all of God's work. And uh, Jews ought to be, as it said here, imitating that by being Rachmanim, B'nai Rachmanim. And the book of Proverbs, the righteous person considers the lives of his or her animals. 
So again, it's like a test for righteousness. And can uh, the realities are so far from that. Here you have chickens very closely confined, such small space they can't even raise a wing. All the natural instincts are thwarted, and because of that, they tend to peck at each other, possibly doing harm. And because of tremendous protests, they've increased the size of the cage, but very little, it's still the same thing. And because of the pecking that can harm them, instead of really changing things, change, you know, uh, give them their natural instincts and stop the frustration, they de-beak them here in a very cruel process and uh, without any painkiller pain at all. Okay, that's the hens. The male chicks <laughs> suffer even more. They never even last even one day because, of course, they can't lay eggs. They have not been genetically programmed to have much flesh as the so-called broilers, the chickens raised for meat are. So they are uh, here uh, killed at birth, possibly bound up here for fertilizer or for uh, pet food or often just stuffed into a egg where they either suffocate or die from the weight of the chicks above them. So again, the reality is very strong religious teachings. Far from that, and here's another terrible, terrible thing. The dairy cow artificially inseminated here on what the industry itself calls rape racks every single year. So they're constantly giving milk. And a terrible, terrible thing. The babies, of course, are taken away right away. Uh, a very, very painful process, often to be raised for veal. By the way, this is like a 20-minute presentation and part of a much longer one, so this is just hitting some of the highlights. And this is another book that was actually published in an e-book last summer. There's an ancient Jewish holiday, New Year for Animals, originally for tithing. So my idea was to restore it, but to transform it into a day devoted to increasing awareness of Jewish teachings on compassion for animals, how far the realities are from that today. Okay, so again, hitting some highlights, and I hope in our discussion we'll be able to go into more detail, of course. Environmental teachings, uh, right into chapter two of the Bible, it indicates the human being was put into the Garden of Eden to work the land, but more important, to guard it. To be, Jews are to be guardians of the land, Shomai Hadama, partners with God in protecting the environment. And there's something that's very often misrepresented that people are given dominion, but that's not certainly not a card plan to do whatever we want, but responsible stewardship. Just as if you had a big garden, but not the time or the ability to take care of it, you hire a garden, gardener, you're giving that gardener, in effect, dominion, but of course not to destroy, but to do everything positively. Okay, so strong teachings, as on health, as on animals, we got the environment, but very negative effects, environmental effects, probably because, well, there's 8 billion people in the world today, there's some, something like 80 billion farmed animals. So deforestation, go into that more slow erosion, depletion, water pollution from the waste of the animals and from the pesticides, the antibiotics, and, and the loss of biodiversity, uh, the amount of wild animals is going down, the amount of farmed animals very much going up. And most important, something we're going to focus on now, the greatest threat to humanity, and that is climate change. 
Okay, and again, not just me saying that, very strong, maybe the most strong, the strongest scientific consensus, 97% of climate scientists, the major science academies worldwide that attain position, most important, I can have an opinion, you can have an opinion, but peer-reviewed articles, that means that other experts have reviewed it, and that doesn't mean it. Every single peer-reviewed article is correct, but when you have thousands of them, that makes a difference. So it's a strong consensus. And here is the story, the reality. And uh, th th this past summer, unbelievable temperature records being broken after they were done also in 2022. And this line here, that line is the average for the 20th century. So you can see, if it's an average, some are below, and that was toward the middle of the century. Notice how much hotter it's getting here. The high values, the last eight years are the last, the hottest eight years in recorded history. It goes back to about 1880 when we were able to take temperature records widely over the world. So very hot. But as the saying goes, we ain't seen nothing yet. Here's an example. We are now, of course, around 2024, and it's about 1.2 degrees Celsius. That's about 2.2 degrees Fahrenheit. The experts hope, hope, because they know how bad it will be beyond that, that we won't exceed one and a half degrees Celsius. But according to this, depending on circumstances, the possibilities, but each one hits that in maybe in uh, the next decade, two degrees Celsius, maybe even before the middle of the century. And we have seen already at 1.2 where we are now, temperature records, tremendous heat waves, floods, the glaciers are melting, all kinds of negative. And that's, can you imagine what's gonna happen by the end of the century where it's projected to be at least three degrees Celsius and could be four, five, six or more. So we are heading toward a climate catastrophe, has to be changed. We can discuss a little bit later what I think is the only possibility for that to happen. Okay, so glaciers are melting polar ice cap. Greenland especially, the difference between this and this, and Greenland is tremendous ice, and if that melts, the uh, seas would rise unbelievably high. So... These are all the reasons we're heading to a disaster. Polar bears, we know, danger of extinction as the ice melts, and many other animals as well. And uh, according to the uh, climate experts, there's going to be tens of millions of desperate refugees fleeing the effects of climate change. And we've seen that already. And this makes, according to the military experts, instability, terrorism, and more and more likely already in Sudan and Syria, the farms failed through the droughts. Many people, millions of people moved into the cities, uh, crowded instability, civil wars resulted. Okay. And here is one of the most important graphs. This is why climate change is such a threat today. If, Way back here, as the graph continued, beginning of the Industrial Revolution, it was uh, 285 parts per million. We are now close to 420 parts per million of atmospheric carbon dioxide. And the reason that's significant 
is that climate experts think that 350 is at a threshold for cost, environmental sustainability, 350 over here. Notice we passed that a long time ago, way beyond that. Making it worse is last few years, there's a trend increase of two or three parts per million per year. We have to turn that around if we have a hope for uh, burning a climate test, we come back somehow way over here to 350. I'm going to talk about how that possibly could happen a bit later. Okay, so what do the experts say? Of course, we have to move to solar energy. Roughly prices have been decreasing due to more demand and uh, more research. Wind power, very important. And they want to uh, reduce emissions, zero emissions, but they're forgetting, we all heard the expression, the elephant in the room, they are forgetting the cow in the room because the most important reason for climate change is animal-based agriculture. And i try to explain why in a minute. And here it is, Salish Rao, uh, systems engineer of the animal peer review paper, the leading cause of climate change. Two reasons. One is the cows emit methane. It's only in the atmosphere 10 or 15 years, but during that time, it's more than 80 times as potent as climate dioxide in heating up the atmosphere. Just... Okay. And just to say, even though we have to reduce it, it's been increasing. Uh, here it is in 2022. And this is important because the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the most important group on climate change because intergovernmental, that means climate experts from many countries, consensus document, they argued in 2018 that we may only have till 2030 to make unprecedented changes or to have a chance to avoid climate catastrophe. Okay, but most important is that of all the farmed land, three quarters about is used for animal agriculture. And it turns out that only a quarter for carrots, or cauliflower, other plant foods. And uh, because of that, this is the amazing statistic, 43% of the world's ice-free land is used now for grazing and growing feed crops for animals. And because of that, there used to be an estimated 6 trillion trees in the world. That's been pretty much halved out to 3 trillion. And we know that the trees absorb carbon dioxide. They sequester carbon dioxide and they give us life-giving oxygen. So because there's so few trees, that's why that carbon dioxide has reached such a high level. So if we could reforest, rewild that three quarters of the world's area, then we could sequester much of that uh, atmospheric carbon dioxide, bring it down to a safe level. So that is the only hope. We'll get into that a little bit more later. Okay, now I mentioned there were six reasons. One, again, is conservation of resources. The Jewish teaching, Bautash Heat, is based on Deuteronomy, which mentions until you can't destroy fruit-bearing trees, even in wartime, to try to overcome an enemy fortification. The sages extended that to a general prohibition against unnecessary waste or destruction. But 
it requires far more resources on an animal-based diet. Here we see irrigation, and because of that largely, uh, you can take as much as 13 times as much water on an animal-based diet than a plant-based diet, irrigating so much feed crops for the animals. In terms of hunger, uh, the prophet Isaiah indicated that uh, the purpose of fasting on Yom Kippur is to share our bread with the hungry. In the biblical times, they were to leave the corners of the fields, the leanings of the harvest of the poor. So every religion is concerned about the poor, but there's a scandal of world hunger. There's enough food. But amazing thing again, 70% of the grain produced in the U.S. is fed to animals to fatten them up for slaughter, something like 40% worldwide. At a time when an estimated 9 million people are dying of hunger and its effects, and almost 10% of the world's people are chronically malnourished. And, okay, so again, a lot more to say on this, but I want to hit the highlights, and uh, so later, please feel free to contact me for more information. Okay, on peace, seek peace and pursue it. Many mitzvot, many religion teachings, but in Judaism, uh, it's pursue peace, and there's only one other thing, and that is justice. Justice, justice, shall they pursue also in the book of Deuteronomy. And the Israelites went to war, but there was a prophetic dream when the nation shall build the swords and the plowshare, the spears, and the pruning hooks. Okay, and uh, but the reality is, when there's a shortage of resources, then it's more likely to go to war. And um, another factor is, which we really men- mentioned before, of course, of climate change, is there'll be all kinds of fleeing refugees. That makes terrorism war more likely. Okay, and um, the scholars saw that the Hebrew word for bread, lechem, and milchama for war, come from the same root. They deduce from that, but then there's a shortage of grain and other resources. People are more likely to go to war. So I've actually come up with this idea that the slogan of the uh, peace movement and that of the vegetarian vegan movement should be one and the same bit of a pun, always saying, give peace a chance. Uh, Again, taking off on John Lennon. Okay, so... Toward the end, here's the big, big question. What kind of world are we leaving for future generations? I've been blessed. I've been now in Israel for, as uh, Chef A.G. mentioned, for seven years, four grandchildren getting married, six great-grandchildren born. What kind of world are we leaving? Again, 1.2 degrees Celsius, so many climate threats, and it's going up far, far more than that. Okay, again, this is a quote from Woody Allen. Unfortunately, it's too much truth in it. More than any other time in history, mankind faces a crossroad. One path leads to despair and utter uh, frustration, the other to total extinction. Let us pray that we have the wisdom to choose correctly. But actually, what I'm trying to say is we do have a different choice. We have a choice now between a mainly vegan world and a mainly destroyed world, but we have the wisdom to choose correctly. And um, I want to thanks for watching.
Hope you found it interesting, meaning, meaningful. And I'll be happy to get questions, comments, disagreements, anything. And, and uh, if you email me, veggierich at gmail.com, I'll be happy to send you some things. I mentioned before, one of my more recent books is called Vegan Revolution, Saving the World, Revitalizing Judaism. If anybody contacts me at this email address, veggierich, Rich, my, my my name Richard, gmail.com. I'll be happy to send you PDFs of that book. So again, uh, uh, look forward to now to my discussion. I'm going to stop the sharing. And okay, let's see. You know, I when I was looking at your slides, the the one of the, the chick was rich, just almost unbearable. And you would think mm -hmm. that that would be enough of a reason for somebody to stop eating animals, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Okay, well, uh, people are creatures of habit. Uh, you probably have heard the expression, denial is not just a river in Egypt. However, there's good news in that we are making progress, especially among the young people more and more are moving to veganism, vegetarianism, so that we have that uh, possibility. And I'm hoping, hoping that when people become more aware that there are now plant-based substitutes you know, for the animal products, and some of them, as you know, have the texture, appearance, and taste so close to the animal products, people can't tell the difference. They are not uh, super healthy, probably healthier than the animal product, but, but of course, uh, moving to that would be much better for the environment, certainly much better for the animals, and as you know, they're also moving, and Israel is a pioneer, among others, in this, to what they call cultured meat, where they take cells from an animal. And that probably wouldn't be vegan, but also they say it's like the meat product, but without the negative effects. Yeah, that seems to be a hot topic of lab-grown meat. Some people are for it, some people are against it. Right. But it will, if it will get less harm to animals and the environment, you know, I'm guess I'm for it. What do you think about it? How do you feel about it? Well, I would not eat that product, but I'm I'm for it because, again, it would solve, partly solve that problem, as we mentioned, unless we can reforest a good part of that, amazingly, 43% of the ice-free land that's now used for grazing and growing tree crops for animals, so that uh, much of the very high and really dangerous carbon dioxide now in the atmosphere can be sequestered or absorbed, then there's very little hope of averting a climate catastrophe. So I'm for it, although it's still misusing animals to a certain extent, so uh, I wouldn't myself uh, take part in it. What's your story about going vegan? And would you be able to tell the audience how old you are? Yeah, well, I'm now I'm 89 years old, and uh, fortunately, I was born at a very early age, so that sort of helps in a way. That's amazing. And, so, yeah. how many of those 89 years, uh, Richard, have you been vegan? Okay, well, actually, I was a vegetarian, starting in uh, 1978, vegan from about 2000. So that's uh, 23 years. So actually, since I'm 89. And let's see, uh, I'm trying to think, it's almost half my life now. And I'm so fortunate to have you on that. By the way, this all happened because teaching mathematics at the College of Staten Island. And one of the courses I was teaching was for liberal arts non-science students. 
they were very poor prepared. They weren't really interested in math, but they had to take a math course to meet degree requirement to have more of a broad background. So I came up with the idea of teaching a course called Mathematics in the Environment. I actually wrote a textbook on it, Mathematics and Global Survival. And we tried to tie it in with what's happening in the world. And one year, hunger was a big issue. We found out many people, unfortunately, were dying of hunger. And I felt initially, what can we do? There's just not enough food for the people. But I read this wonderful book you're probably familiar with called Diet for a Small Planet, right? By Francis Moore Pay, who pointed out, as I said partly in that uh, slideshow, that uh, 70% of grain being fed to animals to fatten them up at a time when uh, there's so much hunger in the world, so many people chronically malnourished and dying of hunger. Wow. That's amazing. Did, did When you went vegan, did other people in your family go vegan as well? Okay. Well, uh, I now have one daughter who is a, is a vegan, two grandchildren, vegans, one vegetarian. So the thing is, since I didn't become a uh, vegetarian until 1978, as I said, my children were used to eating meat. So many of them have shifted, at least partially there. And as I say, I do have some of the family in that direction, hoping that uh, even more will move in that direction. When did you move to Israel? Okay, well, um, August third. Uh, that will be the that, that was my uh, it'll be the seventh anniversary. So it's about seven years. And why did why and, did you move, and how do you find it there the vegan scene as compared to New York? Okay, well, I'm actually at a senior, wonderful senior citizen residence, wonderful people, but, you know, elderly, very few are vegetarians and are vegans, but all of them tell me they've got children, grandchildren that way. Vegan is known as the, one of the world's capitals of veganism. Many restaurants uh, are vegan, and even the ones that serve meat have all kinds of options. So... Uh, uh, I'm not finding it directly here, as I said, because mainly elder people. But again, they do tell me about their family moving in that direction. And the, the trend is definitely toward vegetarian veganism. Hopefully, hopefully, it will be soon enough to make a difference in terms of the world's environment, in terms of climate change. Do you think if more rabbis were vegan, more Jewish people <laughs> would be vegan? Well, absolutely. And uh, I'm writing an article on uh, is eating meat and other animal products holacically justified? In other words, justified by Jewish law and trying to point out very strongly that uh, Jews should be vegetarians or vegan. By the way, I am uh, president emeritus, as I mentioned, in the slideshow of Jewish veg. And that group uh, is soon to come out with a statement, very strong on veganism, and that was signed by over 200 rabbis. So there are some, it's still a relatively small percentage, but I'm trying to really correctly aim at rabbis very respectfully and say, um, you know, you were wonderful. I've always found rabbis very good, very committed to having Jews live very nice Jewish lives, do as many misfold as possible. But the animal-based diets and agriculture are so far from that. So we do have some rabbis, and hopefully many more will join them. Yeah, that would be fantastic. How many yeah. books have you written now? 
oh boy, about uh, seven books, but actually some have two or three editions. So I think it's something like 13 or 14 if you take in, as I said, like my Judaism and vegetarianism, first written in 1982, had three editions. And uh, the Vegan Revolution, uh, I think that's the second edition. The, the uh, Judaism and Vegetarianism is where I first heard about you. That's a wonderful, wonderful <laughs> book. And you make the case that, that right. somebody is uh, practicing or just even Jewish, that that they should become v- vegan or vegetarian. And I thought that was very compelling. When you're updating this book, the 20th anniversary edition, will there be some changes in it? How will it be different? Right. Okay, yeah, 20th anniversary edition of Judaism Global Survival. Well, being updated... Since then, uh, was it 19, uh, 2002, so much more. We found out about climate challenge, how much more big, bigger a threat is. And uh, and just there's been so much in the media about the environment, so I updated that. And uh, beyond my book, Judaism and Vegetarianism, which, of course, focuses on that, this book indicates that there's much more the idea is Jewish values, religious values in general, have to be applied because there's never been such a threat to the world. If we don't solve the climate crisis, then as I pointed out in the um, PowerPoint, what kind of world are we leaving for future generations? This past summer, uh, Phoenix had over 110 degrees Fahrenheit for, well, over 20 days consecutively in so many areas just uh and um there were wildfires in canada causing many areas in the u.s to have air pollution tremendous air pollution problems on some days it was the worst in the world and we think some places in india and china very high air pollution problems but because of wildfires and uh and the problem is by the way what makes it very difficult to solve the climate crisis is what they call self-reinforcing positive feedback loops or vicious cycles. For example, when these wildfires occur, there's three very bad things happening. Of course, many trees destroyed so that those trees are no longer absorbing or sequestering the carbon dioxide. And all the carbon in the trees that are burning are going to the atmosphere, adding to what they were ready. And of course, many cars and Houses are destroyed, so much additional energy will be needed to rebuild the houses, build more cars. And of course, that means uh, more uh, fossil fuels, more greenhouse gases, etc. So that's why it's urgent. The time is so, so short that there be a shift toward vegan diets. And that's uh, the purpose of my books and uh, hoping to build a strong campaign uh, to promote veganism, and part of that would be to reach out to rabbis and uh, say you want people to observe Jewish values. Well, in eating meat, they're violating at least six, six Jewish mandates, for example, about taking care of our health, treating animals with compassion, protecting the environment, etc. When you say reach out to rabbis, how are you doing that? Giving them your book and when you've asked, have you had conversation with rabbis asking them why they don't consider going vegan? What have they said in response? Okay, you know, most of them just dodge the question, basically. And actually, there's something I'm sort of starting, so I haven't done it that much. But uh, if this was a month or two later, then I'd have a lot more 
the conversation on that. But I'm reaching out. There's uh, somebody who was really, very really helpful to me. He got me very large email lists, maybe more than a thousand. Reform rabbis, conservative, orthodox, reconstructionist. And he's also, by the way, uh, presently getting me email addresses of uh, teachers at the various colleges and Jewish studies departments. So I now have good information to reach out to these, these people. And and there's no real answer. For example, I mentioned in the slideshow, I had that cover story in the Jerusalem report, should Jews be vegans? And I raised, of course, many of these questions. And in issue one or two after that, I had a letter to the editor sort of challenging uh, people to respond to the arguments. I'm, I'm not a rabbi, uh, and rabbis know a lot more about Judaism in general. I've been specializing on this area with regard to animals, the environment, etc. And uh, there's another rabbi, Shmuley Yankowitz, and he got somebody... I've had Shmuley on the show. He's uh, wonderful. Oh, okay. He's an amazing guy, amazing, amazing. What other, can you name some of the other uh, vegan rabbis? To... Okay. Well, one of them is Rabbi David Rosen. And he, by the way, I had a cover story that I wrote about him in a Jerusalem report. He was a former chief rabbi of Ireland, and he's the most eloquent, eloquent person on that. And uh, then there's a rabbi in Israel called uh, Akiva Gersh, and he gave himself the title, it's well-deserved, called a vegan rabbi. Okay, and uh, there's uh, Hillel Nori, I think, and there's a Jonathan Nero in Israel started a wonderful group called the Interface Center for Sustainable Development. So again, this list that will be coming out uh, shortly before Shoshana with over 200 rabbis. So there are some, and one of my campaigns is to try to get them to speak out strongly on this and to also reach out to every single rabbi very respectfully and uh, say, well, um, can you, at least, even if you don't tell people you must be vegetarian or vegan, have programs where at least you raise the issues, have discussions on it, have debates, pro or con, and I'm ready to, middle not a rabbi, they say they know more because, because they spend years studying and learning on this, giving sermons, so week by week they're considering it, but I'd happy to debate any rabbi on the question here we raise, should Jews be vegans or at least vegetarians? And uh, I doubt it would be easy to find anybody willing to debate me because I don't think anyone can disagree that animals, of course, are treated horribly in factory farms. We mentioned before- What about people, what about people that say, but the, but, but the way that animals are killed in the Jewish tradition, it's, it's more humane. What do you say okay. to those <laughs> Okay, well, first of all, it is true that the so-called Shakita, which is ritual slaughter, is aimed to minimize the pain. One problem with that, though, is such a mass production system today that often it can't be carried out effectively. It used to be there was a, one thing that's true that uh, it's not like in other slaughterhouses where it might be a recent immigrant and or can't get any other job doing it and without their skills and all, and the turnover is very rapid. So a special blessing was to be said in the Jewish tradition for every animal killed. But with chicks, for example, it's such a mass production thing, it can't be done that way. But even so, much more important is before they get to the slaughterhouse, 
even if it's carried out there, minimum of pain, as I said, because of the mass production, often that doesn't happen. But what about the many months before on the factory farms where they're treated horribly? We mentioned about the chickens, the cows being artificially impregnated. How can a religious Jew justify drinking milk today, knowing that the uh, dairy cows are artificially impregnated every single year? And because of the terrible conditions, they may be sent to slaughter after five years or so, where normally they might live for 20 years. And um, the egg-laying hens began being de-beaked. So, uh, you know, Sabo Echayim, a Jewish mandate not to necessarily cause any harm to animals, being violated every single day. And I just reviewed this book called The Humane Hoax, you may be familiar with that uh, by Hope Bohannik, and it points out how misleading the animal industry is, trying to convince people about so-called humane meat. So, for example, uh, cage-free eggs or cage-free chicks, they may be let out of the cages, but they're still confined, in very close confinement in uh, long windless sheds, still living on their own waste, still very negative. So all the talks about humane uh, treatment of animals is really a myth and just misleading labels from the animal-based communities. Well, you know, I believe that. I haven't read that book, but I know her and I'm sure it's wonderful. I should really try to get her on the show. And I believe there's no such thing as humane meat. When you've discussed this with uh, other Jewish people that aren't vegan or vegetarian or rabbis, what's their answer? I mean, the, not, the knowledge that you have about these practices. Well, the answer is almost silence or trying to change the subject or agreeing, but, uh, you know, and some just say, well, we we're used to that taste. That's part of the problem. That's why I but think it's, it's not so the important. meat. This is what I don't, don't understand because they're used to the taste. Jewish people cook their meat, correct? Do you know any Jewish people that eat raw meat or raw fish? They don't eat sushi, for example. It's not the taste of the meat. It's the taste of all the stuff they're putting on the meat. Well, true, true. That is very true. That uh, Without all the seasonings and everything like that. And Which again, you made plants, by the way. All the condiments... <laughs> And sauces yeah, on yeah, plants. Yeah, right, right. And by the way, when people tell me, uh, by the way, I came back in this trip and I ate in this vegan restaurant and the food was amazing. You'd think that that would show them, you know, it's certainly not a choice between delicious meat and really uh, bread and water or, you know, just uh, eating things because you know it's better for the animals and all. But uh, if you as a chef certainly know how many uh, wonderful recipes there are out there, how many vegan uh, cookbooks there are. And uh, it's just a matter of break, breaking through the the habits that people have. And again, the tradition, their parents ate meat, their grandparents, they were served it. It was meant as something loving from their parents and all. But the parents didn't realize they were really feeding the foods, very bad for their health, very bad for the planet. You can make any Jewish foods vegan now, gefilte fish, you can Absolutely. make lox, you can make uh, a, a chopped liver, everything that, that the people that are Jewish love as their traditions for their holidays. Um, simis, they're, they're vegan versions of all of these recipes and they're delicious. Right, right. Absolutely, 100%. So there's no reason, this is the point that I'm going to try to make 
And again, writing an article that I hope I'm able to send out, as I said, I have the very long list of rabbis, and uh, most of them just want to change the subject. You know, if somebody would write back and say, well, you're wrong for A, B, and C, I'd love to get into a dialogue with them, but they can't, they can't disagree. There's so many peer-reviewed articles in respected medical journals about the negative health effects and uh, in terms of the environment. And the fact that this, you know, water shortage in so many countries, and that may be, let's say, uh, whereas in the past, uh, there were battles over fuel sources, oil, gasoline, et cetera. Now it could be over water. And as I said, because so much of the land now is used for feed crops for animals. Again, 43% for grazing, growing feed crops for animals. That has to be reforested, rewilded, and that can make such and such a difference. Yeah. You know, I understand you're launching a major campaign in conjunction with your books. Can you talk about that? Okay, well, a uh, whole bunch of things. One, as I mentioned, I'm trying to restore, transform the ancient Jewish New Year for animals because very powerful animal teachings on compassion for animals in Judaism mentioned a couple in a slideshow. But unfortunately, so much in Judaism is on the sacrifices, on what food meats you can eat, how to slaughter them, etc. And I mentioned that, uh, oh no, <laughs> I'm willing to send get this book, Vegan Revolution, to as many people as possible. Happy to send a PDF. And if you didn't get it the first time, if you email me at veggierich, V-E-G-G-I-E rich at gmail.com, be very happy to email a copy to you and to encourage you to get it to many more people because it makes a very strong case why Jews and everybody else should be vegan. And again, I have this long list of rabbis, and I'm going to be sending them uh, complimentary copies of my upcoming book with you. I really appreciate that you've mentioned it. Uh, Judaism and Global Survival, 20th anniversary edition, and all kinds of articles. And by the way, I have become, in seven years in Israel, the number one letter writer in the Jerusalem Post. They only have letters that they publish on Mondays and Wednesdays. And I had a streak of seven consecutive days where they published letters where I had a letter to the editor probably because uh, their readership is fairly conservative. I have more progressive ideas. And many of my letters have been promoting vegetarian veganism. And they're there too. People uh, can't deny it and haven't been responding to it. So that's part of it. I'm sending letters to the editors, articles all the time. Had many, many articles published in the Times of Israel. I have what's called a Jewcology blog, where I post many, many articles. And again, the case is so super strong. This is just, uh, again, just to summarize some bottom lines. Number one, and unfortunately, people can't deny the world's heading toward a climate catastrophe. And we see that almost every day. With, uh, uh, you know, it used to be something they called 100-year storms. Now we're happening annually almost. Sometimes two of them within the same period of time. So the world's heading to climate catastrophe. And again, that cow in the room, that the number one cause is animal-based agriculture. 
and teach the Jews that there are six mandates that are very seriously violated. And as we've said, uh, people get the same taste with uh, plant-based substitutes. And as you pointed out, there were so many delicious vegan foods. And anybody goes to a vegan restaurant will have wonderful, wonderful choices on that. So we have truth, morality, justice on our side. And I really appreciate this opportunity to be on your program. And uh, of course, I plan to share the link once it's out very widely. Well, thank you. And I'm going to put in the show notes what you said. If people email you, they'll you'll get they'll get a PDF of Veggie Resolution Revolution. Right, absolutely. That's so nice. How does your forthcoming book, Judaism and Global Survival, the 20th anniversary edition, play into your plans to promote veganism? Okay. Well, uh, you no. Know, whenever there's a new book, it gives you an opportunity to get in programs, podcasts, radio programs like yours and to get reviews so that that raises the issue. And this too, I'm going to try to get out complimentary copies. People email me at veggierichardsgmail.com to rabbis, influential people. And uh, it's just adding to the other things I have to get that book out as, as widely as possible and continue with the other efforts. And through Jewish Veg, I'm encouraging them to put advertisements in many, many Jewish publications because uh, you know, wanting to make it strong appeal uh, and get people aware of what's happening. And I'm volunteering my books uh, to, to be used for these ads as an incentive for people who give larger donations, they'll get a free copy of either one of my books and actually both of those books, The Vegan Revolution and the upcoming 20th anniversary edition of Judaism and Global Survival, if uh, they give very high donations. So those How are some of the things. How people find out more about your vegan activism and your books? Do you, you, uh, you have a, just an email? You don't have a website or any social media presence for them to follow you? Okay. Well... Again, uh, do a Facebook page, and but if they contact me at Veggie Rich, which you mentioned at gmail.com, be happy to send them material. I hope many of them will consider joining Jewish Veg because there's uh, such a wealth of material there. There's all kinds of recipes, there's uh, all kinds of articles. And by the way, I have uh, on a website. Uh, jewishveg.org slash Schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z, over 250 articles on all phases of vegetarianism, veganism, many led to Judaism, many not. And I have maybe like 15 book reviews there. And also there, by the way, there is the um, full text of my book, Judaism and Vegetarianism, and the previous edition, of Judaism and Global Survival. Jewish Veg, is that, their website's jewishveg.org, correct? Yeah, well, jewishveg.org, that is the website of Jewish Veg, but if you add a slash and then S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z, they'll get to my 250 articles. And among those articles, I have articles that relate every single Jewish holiday and Shabbat to veganism. Okay, so 
there's all of that. And also, I have many questions and answers there because a lot of people said they want to become vegan, but somebody who's religious says, well, you have to eat meat on Shabbat. So I answer questions like that. And uh, what about the biblical sacrifices? And I try to answer that by saying, well, that was a concession to the teens at times long ago when that was a common mode of worship. Judaism went beyond that by at least eliminating human sacrifice, child sacrifice. And the biblical prophets indicated that God's concern was more about mercy and justice. And actually, sacrifices could be an abomination to God if carried out along with uh, oppression, injustice, etc. And according to Rob Cook, first chief rabbi of pre-state Israel, the third temple in the Messianic period will not have animal sacrifices, but only that grain and oil uh, for sacrifices for Thanksgiving. Because at that time, uh, ideal time, pe people will be at a higher level. There will not be a need for sin offerings or guilt offerings. So these are some of the factors. I heard, I don't know if this is true, that Israel has the most vegans of any country. Is that true? Okay. Um, there now have been a couple that may have a higher percent, but Israel may be in the top third or so. I thought per so capita, and that is. I, I mean, I've read that it is. Oh, yeah, per capita, capita yeah, yeah. Any other yeah. nation. Yeah. yeah. So I think they're in among, among the top third, top three countries on that. But uh, they are way ahead in terms of vegan restaurants. And then uh, they are pioneering in the plant-based substitute and also in the so-called cultured meat from the cells of animals. Wow, that's incredible. Well, thank you so much for the work you do. I mean, you're almost 90 and you're still an activist. Yeah, well, we try because the issues are so urgent. And uh, I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of giants because there's so many teachings I can use. You know, I don't. Which giants not... are you standing on? Like, who who were your mentors? <laughs> Okay, well, but the, first of all, the Nabiim were the biblical prophets and many of the sages and uh, those who came up with, as I say, the teachings, uh, very strong, universal, but very powerful Jewish teachings that say that uh, taking care of our health is one of the most important things we can do. And a righteous person, for example, consider the lives of his or her animals. And the uh, book of Psalms indicating that God's compassions over all of God's teachings. So, again, I'm very fortunate, and I appreciate uh, kind comments about my book, Judaism and Vegetarianism. There, too, I was able to build on the powerful biblical and uh, Talmudic quotations and just uh, comment on them and try to relate them to the more current situation. Well, thank you so much for the work you do. Any final thoughts, Rich? <laughs> okay. Well, again, uh, I've sort of summarized this. I just final thought to urge everybody seeing this uh, presentation to speak very respectfully to rabbi, minister, priest, imam, and very respectfully say, can you put this on your agenda? To uh, you know, can you consider? Can we really continue eating meat and other animal products, knowing how terrible animals are treated, knowing the harm to the environment, knowing the harm to our health, knowing how wasteful resources it is? And uh, 
bottom line, uh, can we get the message out that unless we ship from these animal-based diets, then there's no really very little, if any, hope of averting a climate catastrophe. So please get involved, write letters to the editors, speak to your neighbors, friends, co-workers, and uh, get this out because if we want to shift our imperiled planet onto a sustainable path and leave a decent, habitable, healthful, environmentally sustainable world for future generations, this is the most important thing that you can do. Thank you so much, Rich. Thank you for this opportunity and best wishes to you for continuing the wonderful, very important work that you're doing. Thank you. And congratulations on the re-release or the 20th anniversary edition of your new book. We'll make sure we have a link below to buy. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow for another fabulous show.